Hello, everyone. Welcome to Divergent Politics. I'm your host, Clara Hodge. I'm neurodivergent, and politics has always been my special interest. My husband, Tristan Hodge, is neurotypical and apolitical, so he's here to translate for anyone who isn't autistic or a hyper-online political junkie. Hello, everyone. We've got a great episode for you tonight. First up, did you know food fights can land you in jail? Next, we'll get a quick lesson from labor history, then current labor headlines. Tonight, strikes and sympathy strikes. Also, fuck Elon Musk. Then we're going to spot the propaganda of the New York Times, the daily podcast. Following that, we'll have our mutual aid signal boost. Then we'll jump into political headlines. Tonight, it's U.S. vetoes ceasefire, more legal troubles for Biden's baby boy, razor wire border buoys, Jeff Bezos might be your new landlord, and Senate votes to subpoena Harlan Crow. We'll finish off headlines with an apolitical palate cleanser. Tonight, it's teeny tiny pink alligator time. Lastly, we'll wrap up any loose ends from the episode and end on a positive note. Let's get started. All right, so uh, first up tonight, a woman hurled food at a Chipotle worker and a judge sentenced the attacker to work in a fast food restaurant. So a non-consensual food fight. Yes, the non-consensual food mm-hmm. fight. <laughs> guess it doesn't matter. It could be, even a consensual one probably could get you if it got out of hand. Um, okay, so Rosemary Hain violently hurled a hot bowl of food at a Chipotle worker's face. The sentence comes as violence against fast food workers and retail workers are on the rise, with one survey finding that six in 10 retail employees had witnessed a violent incident at their workplace in the last year. Not ever, in the last year. Six in 10. Damn. That's a lot. Like That is a lot. Humans are not good to retail workers and food workers. I mean, that's like up there with police. Yeah. Like, but that's, that's a lot. serious. Well, oh, and I just realized. Um. Anyway, sorry, I lost my place. All right. So the quote right here is from the lady who was hit with the food because uh, she, the lady was sentenced to twenty hours a week. So uh, the lady was hit says, "I've been saying she's lucky working twenty hours a week. I was working sixty-five hours a week." Mm-hmm. Um. And the victim, she was only 26. She worked at Chipotle for more than four years. It's a hell of a long time to stay at a fast food place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she was assaulted, and she quit a month later because the restaurant chain never even reached out to her after the incident. Uh, she also had to work an additional four hours after that burrito bowl was thrown in her face. So she quit after four years. And uh, they, they care about their employees. Yeah, and I Deeply. Know mess things up because I want to be like that. The other one shouldn't even be there. Okay, sorry. Yeah, they care for sure. All right. So I mean, while that sounds good, like she doesn't have to work there to pay her bills. She doesn't have to right? work there like, to I, so like, survive. The, so it's not the same. Well let's watch the video and then I do I want to talk about yeah. the restorative justice concept of this. Mm. But we do have the video of the assault. So. 
Well, an angry customer who threw a burrito bowl at a Chipotle worker in Ohio received quite a unique sentence today after pleading guilty to assault. Rosemary Hain told the judge she responded the way she did because the food was disgusting and not what she wanted. Yeah, the judge sentenced her to 180 wow. days in Just, jail, but hot. suspended 90 food. of them. Here's why. He also gave her the option to get 60 days of jail credit. The judge told Hain that she would have to work 20 hours a week at a fast food restaurant for two months. Do you want to walk in her shoes for two months and learn how people should treat people, or do you want to do your jail time? Uh, I'd like to walk in her shoes. Why should the city taxpayers pay for <laughs> yeah, her <right>. and feed <laughs> her for 90 days in jail if I can teach her a sense of empathy? And after Hain completes her work assignment, she will have 30 days left to serve in jail. The assault victim says she is pleased with that sentence. So, yeah. I can dig it. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, it's an example of, uh, it's an example of restorative justice. Um, yeah, I could see how that's not great for lots of situations, but. Well, no, I think it's, I think it's. A good. My problem is, is he's making what the lady does for a living the punishment for the other lady. Like he's trying to teach her empathy, but also your punishment is to be like her. Sure, like, sure. Right, like yeah. she's beneath you in station. It's confirming that 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 your punishment is to do the thing that she's been doing. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can see that. So. Yeah, so uh, I do like the idea of restorative justice where we get the 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 codes and the written whatever out of it and we figure out what actually helps everybody here. How do we make sure everybody's taken care of from this? Like, I like that as a concept. I'm down for not paying for that lady to be in jail for 90 days. Right. Right? Like, I, I think that's great. I don't think... Uh, what I think is should happen is the 20 hours she works, that money should have to go to the victim. Because she's going to get paid. Whoop, I lost my thing. She's going to get paid to uh, work those hours, right? Mm -hmm. Versus us paying her to sit in jail. She's going to get paid. And I think that's bullshit. I think she should, I think that money should have to go to the victim that 20 hours a week. I think that's Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. Yeah, so that was gnarly on uh, food to the face. All right, so now we've got labor headlines. Uh, or we'll start with our labor history, actually. All right, so we're not going very far back in history this time. See why is it opening? Oh, way back in two thousand and one. Yeah. Yep, 2001. So we've got. Okay, so nearly 230 teachers were jailed in Mid Middletown Township, New Jersey, and are ordered freed after an uh, after ending a nine-day strike. Man, talk about the most boring-sounding place, Middletown Township, New Jersey. <laughs> right. <laughs> Sounds fake. It sounds like a lazy person was writing yeah, that, for a story. Yeah, that's and the, the city the from the Truman name. Show or something, yeah. right? Like that's where you go on vacation. Right, the Truman Show. But, or if you're if you're writing a book and you can't be bothered to figure out the name right yeah. now, so that's your placeholder. I'll come back and figure it out later. 
Um, so the big issue here was around healthcare demands. Um, their premiums went way up in a very short period of time. Uh, and then this strike was preceded by an unsuccessful four-day strike in 1998. Um, around this, it was around the same issue, the same healthcare, like they're still fighting the same fight three years later. Um, and then a judge ordered the teachers back to work and they went back Fine. to work. This time they didn't go back to work and that's why they were jailed. So the strike began. No, yep. No, yeah. Yep. Strike began late November 2001. It was originally planned for September 12th, 2001, but was delayed by the September 11th attack in which the town lost 33 residents. Oh, fine. So, so yeah, the teachers decided not to strike the next day, you know, like have a little bit of, you know, morning time or whatever. So, um, yeah. Uh, so, so they already, you know, they pushed it back and that, yeah, makes sense to me. Um, and then, yeah, they were ordered back to work, uh, but 228 of them refused and they were jailed. The union leaders actually called off the strike, not the teachers sitting in jail, but the union leaders called off the strike after the teachers had been in jail for five days and were uh, facing spending the weekend behind bars. Mm. So the union was like, you know what, fine, we're, 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 we're we'll go back to work. Uh, and then a judge forced the contract into mediation, and eight months later, no one was happy with the new contract. Uh, it was basically split the difference of the healthcare. The healthcare prices went up like two thousand dollars, and it like the new contract basically split it in the middle, um, but took years to do it. it was silly. So, all right. So that's labor history. I have to guess, like. In comparison to the average person, like a teacher incarcerated, is probably not a bad time. Like you go in as, you know, child molester or something mm, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bad, bad time. Mm -hmm. Teacher, they probably get along with everyone. Yeah, Teach you're probably gonna be okay. Stuff. Yeah, playing cards. You're not making enemies. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Five yeah. days, they would have been fine. Give them another five. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Nobody wants to spend any time just. No, nobody wants to. And especially for that reason. Like, that's ridiculous. Right. Like, how, like, they technically have a right to strike there, but a judge does have the ability to order them back to work and an intermediation. So how is that a right to strike? Like, it doesn't make sense to me if they could be jailed for it. But Illusion of, illusion yeah. of right. And then we do have some current headlines that tie in a little better to this, but we're jumping the line a little. Uh, because I just, I hate Elon Musk so much. And anytime I get a chance to make fun of him and poke at him, I'm going to do that. So right. we told you about the sympathy strikes that are happening in Sweden um, with the postal workers and the dock mm -hmm. workers. Well, the sympathy strikes have expanded. So look at that face. So we're just going to pause. Tesla faces a growing revolt in Scandinavia after Danish dock workers joined a sympathy strike with Swedish mechanics, keeping pressure on the electric vehicle giant to grant collective bargaining rights to employees. Members of Swedish trade union If Metal have been at loggerheads with Tesla for six weeks and have garnered support via secondary strike action from fellow workers across a range of industries in Sweden, including postal workers, painters, dock workers and electricians. 
Tesla's CEO Elon Musk bemoaned the blockage of license plate deliveries by postal workers as insane, and late last month filed lawsuits against both the Swedish Transport Agency and the Postal Service. After Swedish dock workers blocked the reception of Tesla cars into the country, there had been speculation that Tesla would seek to deliver cars to Danish ports and transport them by truck across to Sweden. However, if Metal requested support from Denmark's largest trade union, which on Tuesday announced a sympathy strike, Jan Billitsen, Though the chair of Denmark's 3F transport union said Tuesday right? that if Metal and Swedish workers are video. fighting an incredibly important battle, and therefore have his union's full support. Just like companies, the trade union movement is global in the fight to protect workers. With the sympathy strike, we are now stepping in to put further pressure on Tesla, Billitsen said in a statement. Of course, we hope that they come to the negotiating table as soon as possible and sign a collective agreement. In what appeared to be a direct attack on Musk, Billitson added that, even if you are one of the richest in the world, you can't just make your own rules. We have some labor market agreements in the Nordic region, and you have to comply with them if you want to run a business here, he said. Solidarity is the cornerstone of the trade union movement and extends right across uh, networks close to done but like elon musk is not a man who's used to being told no right like in his right. whole life he's not used to being told no and so the you you don't get to make your own rules here dude yeah. like i'm sorry that america lets, lets billionaires fucking walk yeah. all over the people but we don't roll that way here yeah, um, this isn't this isn't california bud yeah like you can't um, just shit on everyone and when you hear what the crux of the strike is about it's gonna make you even more crazy it's not about wages Oh. national borders therefore we are now taking the tools we have and using them to ensure collective agreements and fair working conditions all members of 3f transport are covered by the sympathy conflict meaning that dock workers and drivers will not receive and transport tesla cars to sweden Swedish labor relations, shaped by a series of accords reached throughout the 20th century, mean that almost all pay is subject to collective agreements between companies and labor unions, without any government intervention. Tesla has so far refused to sign up to one of these collective bargaining agreements, leading around 120 mechanics in Sweden to launch strike action in late October. The striking workers are not asking for more pay, but simply for Tesla to honor the principle of collective bargaining. The dispute highlights the potential for an ongoing ideological stalemate not just between Tesla and 120 mechanics, but between US corporate power and the deeply entrenched principles underpinning the Scandinavian economic model. He can't though. I mean, he's not an idiot. I mean, he is Tesla face Wow. Yeah, it's not about money. It's just about the fact of having the, the, the agreement. Like, in and of itself, you're going to bargain with us. This yeah, is how this it is, works this here. This is how our country works. And it's not even the country. It's the workers. It's like they said, it's not government. It's the literal the unions and the workers that are like, no, bullshit, dude. Deal with it. And just, just go somewhere else Yeah, if you don't like it. And that's the thing is, why I say he's not stupid, the reason he's, is because he knows if he folds here, then there's, you know, that's just more 
uh, reasons for uh, employees in the U.S. to start collective bargaining, and he absolutely does not want that. So we got a couple things that were not in the video. Uh, so these are the the current sympathy strikes that are happening to the the Tesla actual plant workers, right? Mm -hmm. So the transport workers and dock workers. So starting in Sweden, transport workers and dock workers unions are blocking loading and unloading at ports. Uh, the postal workers have stopped delivering Tesla license plates. The electricians union is blocking repairs at Tesla mm -hmm. facilities. Building maintenance workers is blocking all maintenance and repairs at Tesla facilities. And this is my favorite. Musicians Union is blocking their music from being installed on Tesla's media systems. <laughs> Even the musicians like, fuck you, dude. You can't have our music and you can't blow your it. car. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So great. That's the only way you can beat Musk. Right. That's and the Bezos only way. And all of them. Right. We have to your government figure out how to work is together. not going to do it for you. No. To do it yourself. Yeah, we have to fucking figure out how to come together. No, yeah. You have to not cross those lines. No. So in Norway, the largest private sector labor union uh, is blocking Tesla cars meant for the Swedish market. We're just like getting in the way. Uh, in Denmark, dock workers will not unload or transport Tesla cars. And Pension Denmark uh, is the largest private pension fund is selling all of its holdings in Tesla. Uh, in Finland, transport workers unions will not load Tesla cars or components destined to Sweden in all Finnish ports. So, yeah, it'll look into Elon Musk. All right. Next in labor. That's sticking it to the man. Right. Fuck that guy. All right. So, Washington Post staffers to go on one day strike over contract talks. All right. So, we have a video here. Um, it's a little long. We might skip through it some of it, but I uh, this was the only video I could find, and this has been a few days at least. Like there just wasn't video on this. It was weird. Like I found people unionized journalists at the Washington Post say they are going to stage a 24-hour strike to protest staff cuts and what they call management's failure to bargain in good faith in contract talks that have stretched on for about 18 months now. This latest labor clash comes a little more than a month after William Lewis, the former publisher of the Wall Street Journal, was named chief executive and publisher of the Post, as the Washington Daily newspaper was projecting a year-end loss of a hundred million dollars. So yeah, their print media is struggling, right? Mm -hmm. Like we all know this, we all get it, um, and yeah, that's the reason there. 18 months into this contract negotiation because mm -hmm. like it's gotten to the point where you um you know it's just hard to make all your it's not hard to make enough money but it's hard to make enough money to pay your workers and your shareholders mm -hmm. one's got to go it's got to pay the shareholders you have a fiduciary duty yeah you just gotta fire the customers you know yep promote the uh, workers popular science them. after like 100 and something years yeah it stopped finally stopped its print that cat couldn't keep up. Yeah, yeah it sucks. Right, the Post, by the way, is one of the many news outlets struggling to devise a sustainable business model in the decades since the internet abandoned the economics of journalism and digital advertising rates plummeted. Executives at The Post, which is owned by billionaire Amazon.com founder Jeff Bezos, like said at the time of the Lewis announcement that they were offering voluntary buyouts across the company 
in a bid to reduce employee headcount by about 10% and shrink the size of the newsroom to about 940 journalists. I don't, I mean, like, I get why they go to cut labor when they're trying to cut money, but because it's like the biggest thing that's adjustable, right? Everything else is a fixed cost, mm -hmm. right? Your rent on your building is a fixed cost, your electric, the rest of it's fixed cost, your labor cost, like the only labor cost is like the only thing that's flexible at all. But to me, it is, and maybe this isn't the best example because print media is kind of dying. Uh, but in general, I feel like just layoffs are a short-sighted way to fix your budget problems. Mm -hmm. And you're better off focusing on training and employee retention so you quit spending money on employee turnover versus slashing costs. And then when you start doing getting in, you're going to fucking train new people back up. It's just like, it just seems like a short-sighted way around a stupid problem of paying shareholders. The Washington Baltimore News Guild, which represents more than a thousand editorial, advertising, and other non-news staff at the Post, they said mismanagement by the previous publisher led to nearly 40 layoffs last year, half from the newsroom, and the company was now seeking to cut another 240 jobs through buyouts. Now, while representatives for the newspaper's management did not immediately respond to a request for comment on the labor dispute, according to the union, Management has threatened to impose more layoffs if too few staffers accept voluntary severance packages. The See, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me, though. Like, that's, what else are they going to do there? They're saying it, like, the company's threatening this, but it's like, if they're offering voluntary layoffs and nobody takes them, then they're going to cut. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't understand why that's like a... Build in an online statement, though, argues that this means... Fewer post employees making the critical journalism that keeps our communities informed and holds public officials accountable. In fact, they assert the company's wage proposals would fail to keep pace with inflation or with the pay of the competitors. In fact, this minute-long video on your screens of theirs ends with the refrain, because we're worth more, worth more than our bosses are offering. Union we're worth more and more than our bosses are offering. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, that, that's not a job I want brand new people in all the time. No, and like journalism is one of the, the few like jobs you can have that like legitimately keeps a safe country, right? Our, our media being fucking co opted and ever more controlled by tighter and tighter corporations, like that's not good for anybody. Media are supposed to be the people that hold truth to power, that keep the people informed, right? Like, that's the whole point of freedom of the press, right? That's why it's, like, the number one thing is because without a free press, what's that, democracy dies in darkness, right? Like, we're fucked, and we're basically there. Nice journalist. Yeah. Okay. So, I want to show you the way the two different... Uh, uh, outlets covered this. So this is Fox News headline. Hundreds of disgruntled Washington Post staffers walk off job in massive labor protests. Hmm. That, uh, That's one way to say it. Right. And then from the Washington Post itself, Washington Post staffers walk out in biggest labor protest in 48 years. <laughs> you see the contrast there between those two framings of the situation? 
disgruntled workers walk out in a temper tantrum, and this is the biggest labor movement or protest in almost 50 years. It's just very different framing. All right, so that's wow. the end of that one. All right, and now we've got uh, DHL Teamsters at their main uh, plant uh, also go on strike protesting labor or unfair labor practices. So we got a video on this one. Um, this one though, is this one? Oh, no, this one's not. We're gonna watch the whole thing on this. DHL's main international hub at the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky Airport now operates with 1,100 fewer employees. We deserve Teamsters Local 100 members walked off the job on Thursday, demanding more pay, better benefits, and fair labor practices. We want a better contract. We want to be seen and we want to be heard. We want better insurance and better pay for the work we do. These DHL employees load and unload the DHL planes at CBG. I actually load the planes. I do K-loader. I do tug. Um, really, it's kind of an on-ramp. You kind of do it all. DHL says Teamsters wants the company to, quote, agree to unreasonable contract terms. DHL says it was prepared for a strike. The company plans to replace staff at CBG. It will also move some flights and volume away from CBG to other DHL locations in the region. So that's the, that's the plan. Mm -hmm. Yes, fuck you guys. We're, We're going to hire other people. You. We're going to hire scabs. Um, yep. It's so gross. Like, without those people, DHL is nothing. Mm -hmm. Literal people on the ground are your entire fucking business model. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, you're paying the shareholders to fucking sit back because they do the Swedish versus Tesla model, right? All those other facilities can't hear. It's illegal in the U.S. And sympathy strikes are illegal in the United States. That's why it doesn't happen. They're the same business. They're the same same companies. They're just more employees joining the strike. I mean, if you're talking like the DHL, different yeah, DHL the other ones. DHL facilities oh, yeah. that are now taking the excess cargo from this facility. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not going to pretend to know all the strategies of their union or their strike, whatever. But no, they just said they're going to divert it to other locations. Right, and they may have so planned those locations by moving that freight are stepping over picket lines. Right. But that may be in the plans. I just don't know. Right, like mm -hmm. this is a new enough thing. It's still still going on. So that may be in the plans to move it, you know, strike to other places because it's, um, yeah, we'll get into it. A DHL Express statement says, quote, as a result of these contingencies, we do not anticipate any significant disruptions to our service performance. The National Labor Relations Board is investigating the union's claims regarding DHL's Calm unfair down, labor practices. Mm -hmm. This is about more than just economics. This fine. is also about unfair labor practices. What's your message directly to DHL right now? You know, get serious or continue to find out that we're going to be out here walking. We're going to stop. We're going to withhold our labor. With chilly temps in the forecast and the holidays exactly. around the like, corner, I these union say, members say they'd uh, rather. The seven-day general strike would do more to to stop, you know, to fix what's going on in this country than anything else. Like, pretty much every working-class person I know could could get by without leaving their house for seven days. Right, like you got food, you got you know you get gas, like once you got like medical, whatever. But 
most retail workers, most factory workers, you know, probably medical people would still have to work, but you know, the vast majority of people could just not go in for a week, just take a week off of work, and it would entirely collapse the system uh, as it is. Um, we could build something better from the ashes. It just would, that's all it would take is seven days of everybody just hands in their pockets. I'm not doing it. Remember when the pandemic started and like the very first weekend the airlines needed a bailout mm-hmm. after like recording re- record profits forever? It's like, what did you do with that money? You didn't save it? You didn't put it aside for someday when you're not making record profits? No. So you just distribute John. it to the shareholders. It's gone. John. The first weekend of less than planned flights, we need a bailout. We're done. Like, my if I can't pay my mortgage, I don't get a bailout from the government. I get told Sorry, we're taking your house. Like, should have planned ahead. Yeah, should you're put you well, you know, every person should really have six months of income in the bank. That's what a responsible person does. What does a responsible company do? <clears throat> Hypocrisy, man. The companies aren't people. <laughs> no, they are, though. We have proved this in court. You cannot have it both ways. <laughs> if, if they get the rights of a person, they should have to have the responsibility. Which includes no fucking bailouts. That's socialism. Giving people bailouts is socialism. Companies are people. Fine. Take that all the way. I know I'm being a bitch about this. I don't care. (laughs) Be at work. But we're seeing it as this is what we got to do to have a better future. I asked DHL about the unfair labor practice allegations. They said they couldn't address specific allegations because negotiations are ongoing. But in a previous statement, they said they prioritized safety at the CVG hub. Now, of course, this comes just weeks before Christmas, a very busy time for DHL. But these picketers tell me it's not a convenient time for them either as they try to get their families ready for the holidays on strike pay. Reporting live in your CVG, Chelsea Sick, Local 12 News. Chelsea, thank you. All right. But yeah, around Christmas time, like that seems like the time for package workers to go on strike. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Not good for y'all. Yeah. Okay. So now this is stuff that wasn't in the video. Um, it's a highly profitable division of Deutsche Post AG, a publicly traded global company based in Germany. Uh, DHL Express alone recorded a $4.3 billion operating profit last year. Just last year, $4.3 billion in profit. Not revenue, profit. And yet, these guys cannot pay their bills. Like, they just, like, it's ridiculous. Um, and then the parent company topped $100 billion in revenue. They get so much money, you can't even... Fathom how much money that is. Uh, DHL bosses are po- are pocketing billions as many of the workers live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, it's a quote from the Teamsters. All right. Next, uh, Blue Cross workers ratify contract and strike. So, yeah, new strike starting, strike ending. So, good news. All right. So, this one, the strike began September 13th. More than a thousand workers are expected to return to work now. This is uh, over. It's like 1,300. Uh, new contract contains significant uh, general wage increases and shortens the, t- the time to the top wage from 22 years to five. You used to have to work for Blue Cross 
for 22 years to get the top pay allowed. Like, <laughs> is it that bonkers? Like, the only one I know with a like a pay scale that stretched out is the military. And now, so now you can hit the top pay rate in five years. That's like that's just yeah. Um, and then most of the people got ratification bonuses, just like a couple. It was like up to sixty five hundred bucks, uh, just for like here this is done one time bonus. Uh, and then a lot of the employees are getting uh, inflation protection bonuses of a thousand dollars each. Um, they also got protections against their jobs being outsourced as part of the contract deal. So yeah, some good news on the on the uh, labor. Yeah, that's nice. Front. All right, so let's turn that. All right, so now we have uh, the let's have to spot the propaganda and. I told you guys it wasn't when we did the very first one and we used the the Michael Barbaro interview for the the Kanye West and Adidas. Uh I told you it wasn't gonna be long before we were coming for <laughs> for that podcast itself. Here we are. Um this is Up here. Okay, so the 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 title of this uh, episode is "You uh, Should You Rent or Buy the New Math?" Um, and let's just say we won't have to work very hard tonight. To spot the propaganda; it's pretty blatant. All right, so we're gonna stop and start this, um, but I'm gonna just go mostly in order. So if you're somebody thinking about buying a home right now, should you just pretty much give up on the idea? Give up on the idea that has been seen as a ticket to adulthood and a reliable path to creating wealth and just accept that you're going to be a renter? Yes. For most people, the answer <laughs> is yes. You should give up on the idea. You shouldn't feel bad about it. Renting has this unfair stigma in this country. It kind of so, yeah, that's what we're going to have. We're going to go over tonight is basically sit through a whole bunch of gaslighting that renting's not so bad. And we should just give up on the idea of owning a home. Mm. Which, as we just bought a house and have spent the last several years renting and have our entire stability ripped out from under us a couple times, like, we feel pretty strongly about being able to buy a house is something, like, I'm aware that it's weird, you know, had some very fortunate circumstances that let us do it, and a lot of people can't, but I don't think that's a reason to give up on it and write it off and just, renting's not so bad, and then, yeah, we'll get into the reason, but it's really gross. It does, doesn't it? It does, but giving up on it now doesn't mean you're giving up on it forever. Hmm. Well, just very quickly, can you just give us, David, your shortest but most illuminating explanation for why these prices are so stubbornly high? Because 
from everything I know about economics, when the cost of buying a house goes up and up and up because of interest rates, then demand for those houses should go down. And therefore, people selling houses should have to lower the price. Therefore, prices should start falling. But that hasn't happened. You're absolutely right about that, Michael. When interest rates go up, prices should come down. But housing isn't a normal market, and it doesn't adjust very quickly. So he's right, right? You're talking about uh, supply and demand, whatever this. Um, but I already feel like this is misleading right here because we've been talking about the interest rates going up and up and up. And the reason the Fed keeps raising the interest rates has been for the last what, year, almost year. Um, is to try and keep inflation down. And it's not fucking working. Like everything's still expensive. People are still can't pay their fucking bills. And they're saying inflation is down, inflation is down. Well, it's not. The rate of inflation is down. Right. So things things aren't getting more expensive as fast as they were. It was like 11% from last year and now it's like 3%. But like that was an increase. That didn't go back down to that and now it's 3% from the baseline. Like we didn't we didn't lose we like all of the stuff still costs that much more. So it's, but they. I mean, besides temporary, does it does it ever go backwards? It does. Yeah. No. It's, like this is why this period of time. Like, yeah, this is why they use this tool. It worked too well in the eighties, and they end up with that stagflation, like the stagnant, whatever. Um, but this re this coming out of the pandemic, everything's different, and they keep raising the rates, trying to get unemployment to go up, trying to get uh wages to go down like that's why they keep raising interest rates so those things happen and they're not happening so he's telling us that in this market houses are it's because they're a different market sure fine but that's across the board happening right now prices aren't going down so he's like trying to single this out as its own thing right and yes it is its own thing and we're gonna talk about that but i just feel like he's not providing the context of like that's kind of happening everywhere right now because people get in their heads, we're not willing to sell our house for less than this amount. So imagine a family that bought a house for $600,000 and put $100,000 into a new kitchen. They're just not willing to sell their house for less than $700,000. <laughs> right. And that's basically what has happened now. Right. Sales have gone way down, the number of sales, but prices haven't adjusted that much. Mm -hmm. And so for any individual, you're really in a tricky spot because interest rates have gone way up in the last few years and house prices have not come down. And you put that combination together and the cost of buying a house for families in almost every market in the country is vastly higher than it was just a few years ago. Right, and especially- And I mean, we're putting our, too much of our personal info out here, but we bought a house in the midst of this crazy high interest rate and you know all of it that's because we had to that's just the way it worked for us um and if we had bought even two years ago when the interest rates were down whatever we'd be paying almost a thousand dollars less in our mortgage payment than we're paying like like a thousand dollars of our mortgage payment it's just extra interest not like even the normal amount of interest that your first couple just mortgage payments are but just extra interest it's nuts and like and we were really fortunate to be able to do that um you know i'm not saying everybody else can but this guy's logic is just trash so for millennials it's basically like lethally high yes 
because millennials are by definition younger than baby boomers or mm -hmm. Generation X. So millennials have not had decades to build up savings that can go toward a down payment. And younger people tend to make less money on average than older people in the job market. And so millennials just don't have the resources on average to buy homes that older people can. Okay, so blatant bullshit, bullshit right there. Because yes, millennials have less net worth than Gen X and boomers. Because yes, they have been alive longer. But when they were our age, like go back account for that time, they both had way more money than we have. Like right. their net worth, like, oh, they didn't have decades to save up for a down payment. They didn't have to save up right. for decades for a down fucking payment. Right. Your fucking house is 60 grand and your down payment's five. With only one person in the house working. Right. Yeah. So he's just saying, you know, oh, well, the millennials, they, they'll get to the point where they have saved enough money and eventually they'll be able to buy a house. They just need to quit whining. He thinks millennials are 12 still. Like, he doesn't, like. No, because both parents have two jobs now. Right. And they're just barely paying rent. Right. Exactly. No, there, there is no to save money. But, yeah, he just, he's just like, well, yeah, they just, they're younger and younger people tend to make less. I'm 41. I'm a millennial. Like, don't tell me. I just, oh, you'll you'll get there. You'll come into just work a little harder and get some experience. Bullshit. I'm experienced. Fucking pay me. Sorry. This I'm really heated about this whole episode. It's just so gross. So anything else before I move on? Okay. All right. We're gonna hit play. Okay, so let's return to the case that you started to make that renting is okay, maybe better than okay, it's good. And that we can collectively let go of home ownership as our gold standard for a life well-lived. I am happy to. The wrap on renting is that you're throwing money away mm -hmm. because you're writing a check to a landlord each month that doesn't build any equity in your home. And that's absolutely true. You are doing that when you rent. But it's important to think about all of the ways that when you buy a home, you are also throwing away money. Okay, so he's, we're about to get into the heat of this, and he's going to list a whole bunch of things that are supposedly throwing away money and 100% are not. Like, or are having direct equivalent when you're It still renting. doesn't matter because you're still building well. Right, you're, yeah, exactly. You're still paying it to yourself. So even yeah. though, well, so he's talking about like the fees and stuff. But you have fees when you rent. Or we'll just we'll go. Like the, when you rent, the landlord just pays those fees. Right, which means You're you pay them. them exactly. You pay them, and the landlord. Yeah, exactly. No, this is. It's just easy. neater. You just make one payment. Exactly. Instead, you you, instead of multiple fuck. payments, yeah. Jesus. All right, let's listen to this. In fact, you're throwing away more money when you buy a home more quickly than when you rent. Hmm. So I think there are four different ways to keep in mind that you're throwing money away when you buy a home. The first is the broker's fee, which is also known as the commission. And in a typical transaction, this fee is about 6% of the house price. Okay, so he is going to like cop to this, but that fee is paid by the seller. So this is the whole thing about why you shouldn't buy a house, not why you shouldn't sell a house. So the fact that he pulls that in, it's number one reason you shouldn't buy a house is the commission for the realtor. 
this is his best evidence. Yeah, it's it's, it, and he he says it's because well you know then the the sellers factor that into the price and then the price is higher blah 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 whatever. But as us buying a house, we did not have to fucking factor in the seller's commission. We didn't. That was the the seller takes care of that. And I'm not saying that that's not it doesn't all come from the same pool of money and whatever. But that is specifically a seller issue and is not hardly relevant let alone the first place thing right of why this is whatever like something to understand yeah but not to to deter you know right and so and then he's talking about like you know it's a junk fee because it's just paid to the realtor first of all those people have to work too they have to eat too um but he says it like when you rent you don't have junk fees when we moved last into our last rental we applied at seven different companies at a hundred dollars per application each fourteen hundred dollars straight down the fucking toilet Mm -hmm. at a time we didn't have it to spare Mm -hmm. and then we finally you know got lucky enough and got into like the last place and we got approved at all the places but by the time the application came back it's like oh this one's not available when you're paying rent there's a good chance a portion of your rent is paying a property management Mm -hmm. that's throwing your money away yeah exactly yeah, instead of paying a, a realtor, you're paying a management company. Every month. Every month, yep. And we didn't even have that hidden in our rent. That was a line item on our bill from our management yeah. company. They charged yeah. us 2.5% management fee just for, I'm like, I've worked in property management. And like before I realized just how terrible it was. <clears throat> you don't make your money off the renters. That's not where the money is. The money's in the sellers. And this management company was charging every renter 2.5%. Uh, just in an additional fee that you could do nothing about because you didn't hire them. They're just would come with the house. Right, right. Like you don't get a say and they just charge the tenants to two and a half percent because they can. They fucking can. But so yeah, his comparison of the broker's fees. I'm sorry, I have way more respect for the realtor we used to buy this house than I do the fucking management company we had in Phoenix. Big time. Big time. <laughs> like she was great. She was helpful. Like she was, you know, helped us with things. She did things to earn that money. That management company didn't do a fucking thing. Mm-hmm. So this is a bullshit or you know, they generated their own their own yeah. revenue. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's keep going. On a five hundred thousand dollar house, six percent equals thirty thousand dollars. On a one million dollar house and a lot of homes, including modest mm-hmm. homes in the Northeast and California, cost a million dollars. That six percent fee equals sixty thousand dollars. Now, technically, the seller and not the buyer pays this fee, but in reality, that difference doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Big time. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I don't know if I said this already. Like, I can totally understand. A legitimate point of view saying that if you're gonna move in less than X amount of time, oh, he does make that point later. Okay, yeah, that's an actual rent versus buy equation. But no, this is to have wealth through your life. This is a no-brainer. Yeah, like let's keep going. The fee comes out of the money that the buyer is paying, and the fee inflates the home's cost. So a broker's fee often amounts to tens of thousands of dollars that a buyer has to spend and never gets back. Right. The second thing is you are paying interest on a mortgage when you buy a home. And many people say, yes, but there's a tax deduction that reduces that interest. And it's true, there is, but it only reduces that interest. You're still paying the cost of interest that you never have to pay if you rent. 
Bullshit, 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 bullshit. You pay the tax when you rent. You are paying the tax and the interest for your fucking landlord. 100%. Like all of it. Oh. Every time. Every time. Renters cover 100% of landlord costs plus profit. Plus That's profit. profit works. Yeah. So like, otherwise there wouldn't be fucking landlords. So you're 100% paying the interest on the mortgage and your landlord gets the deduction on their taxes. Right. You fucking don't. Right. Your landlord gets the deduction for their mortgage payment. You don't get the deduction for being the person who actually covers that fucking payment. You play for all of that plus insurance, plus the upkeep, and mm-hmm. you don't get to keep the house at the end. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this guy's infuriating. <laughs> and it's a really significant amount of money. Not only that, but in the first few years of paying a mortgage, the way mortgages are structured, you pay almost entirely interest. Mm-hmm. So what That's you really should think about is that in your first several years of living in a house, you are going to pay many tens of thousands of dollars to a combination of real estate agents and banks, almost none of which is actually home equity for you. And when bullshit. you're rent no, and when you're not bullshit, but when you're renting, none of it right. is equity for you, which is the right. point. Like he's not but, wrong that it's mostly interest and whatever. But he but, is wrong that in that year that you paid all those fees and whatnot, your house went up twenty thousand dollars. Sure, in value. right, exactly. Yes, yeah, so probably so yes, but you still made. Yeah, even though you paid all them realtors, mm-hmm. idiot. But you didn't pay the seller. Fuck paid. <laughs> no, it's it's. Ugh. Yeah, you. Mm. Yeah, so that, that's, that's his point is, you know, it takes years to build home equity. Well, when you rent for 20 years, you've never built anything. Right. Right. All right. Right. And the case you're making is that you may, in fact, be throwing away significantly more money than you would be if you rented during those years. That's exactly right. Okay. That's meaningful. What are the other two ways in which? You end up kind of throwing money away, even when you're buying a house, not renting. Things go wrong in houses all the time. Right. Which is why in your rent is factored repair costs that your landlord is going to have to make. And if he gets lucky and nothing breaks, he just keeps that extra money. Mm-hmm. Or she, whatever. Um, or them. Them, yeah, the company. The company. Like, it... They just keep that money. So you're, you're a hundred for that. You're paying way. for that repair. Either way. Exactly. Like it's just it's not in addition to your monthly payment, you know, whatever, fine. Like I get that. But at the same time, I can't take an equity loan on my uh, rented apartment to, to buy fix the to water fix here. the water heater. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, Landlord can. Right. Landlord can collect all of that yep. money, budget it for repairs. Doesn't matter. Takes out a loan on the equity anyway to fix the damn thing. Yep. And then raises your rent. And then raises your rent. Yeah. Sometimes it's little repairs, like maybe a toilet breaks and you have to spend several hundred dollars on it. Sometimes it's really big repairs that just completely sneak up on you, like your roof needs to be repaired or else you're going to have rain coming in the roof that can be thousands of dollars. When you rent, you don't pay that. Right. When you own, you do pay that. 
And over time, it ends up being a really significant amount of money. When we created this rent versus buy calculator for the New York Times years ago, Mm -hmm. we made this a specific factor, which was the amount of money a typical homeowner spends each year just on repairs. And what is that number? For a typical homeowner, it's often 1% of the purchase price of the house. So if you have a $500,000 home, it's often $5,000 a year. That's 400 bucks a month. How many of you out there are renting and have ever come to the end of your lease and had your fucking rent go up $400 a month with no warning? Not because anything broke, not because anything changed, but the same unexpected $400 a month fucking increase because they can, not because you're getting any water heater out of it. It's so blatant. It's so old. And I, I would also like to point out what what newspaper did he make that rent versus buying calculator for? For the New York Times, right? Yeah. A, a rental and and ownership market unlike any in the fucking world, right? That 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 does not translate to any city Mm-mm. anywhere. Well, all right, let's. Keep that, not that that's bad or good. No, it's no, just no. different. And he does talk about living somewhere else, but it was I think it was Washington D.C. So that's probably the only place that's similar to fucking yeah. housing costs is New York. Yeah. When you add up everything. And so that's the third thing. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's the fourth? The fourth is when you buy a home, you make a down payment. It's often about 20% of a house price. So it's a significant amount of money. Just to do the arithmetic here, a 20% down payment on a $500,000 home is $100,000. On a million dollar home, it's $200,000. It's an enormous amount of money. If you rent a home, you don't stick that money underneath your mattress. You can invest it. And while all investments bring risk, over time, most investments do just fine. You mean like owning rental property? (laughs) The mental gymnastics. What what planet is this guy from? Most investments do just fine. No, for your class, maybe. That's when you can do the fucking Vanguard funds and all the other whatever. No, most investments do just fine. No, they don't. That's why they're called risk. Like, that's why they're risky. Like, now I will say, you know, a house is not without risk. Sure. Like, you know, it is also. but it's a definitely a better investment than renting. And then, or then he's saying he's saying you rent it as your mortgage payment, and then your down payment money you invest in the stock market. Like that's what he's saying to do, right? So he says you don't when you when you rent you don't put that extra down payment money in your mattress. Who fucking renting has the extra hundred thousand dollars just for a down payment that they're hiding in their fucking mattress? Like oh well, I'll just go put it in the stock market instead. Right. Fuck you. Right. Right. That is not. Nobody has that fucking money. Like the the reason the down payments are out of reach high is because the home prices themselves are out of reach high. A separate issue. And there are a lot of down payment assistance programs where you could put down a lot less. And I'm not shitting on anybody who can't afford, you know, a down payment. I'm a veteran. We were able to do a no down payment loan is the only reason we were able to pull this house off. The decision I made when I was 18 saved my ass at 41 to be able to buy a house. And so, like, he's talking about you shouldn't feel bad about renting. 
we did not have that hundred thousand dollars right. sitting around. Exactly. So because like, we were milked for every fucking penny by our by our, our landlords. landlords. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, what what it costs for a down payment now? It used my parents bought a house for. Right. Fucking hundred thousand dollars used to buy a whole house. When I was when I was nineteen, me and girlfriend at the time were looking at a house and it was a hundred and ten thousand yeah. dollars. Yes. And it was a very decent it's probably seven hundred thousand dollars now. I, I can only imagine or more. Yeah. No, it's silly. All right. So let's keep going. This guy's just so clearly out of touch with the renter class. It's wild. They make a positive return. And so the comparison when you buy a house should not be to zero. It should be in part to what would happen to your down payment money if you invested it in the stock market or mm -hmm. in bonds or in a basic index fund. <laughs> Nobody has that money. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that over time tends to grow. And so... People should think not only about these direct costs of home ownership, but of the opportunity cost of not being able to invest your down payment in another way that it could make a return. Right. Now, I, I will say, like, if you're some, like, single person with a great job and some teeny tiny little shit apartment, maybe you are stacking some money. Sure. Right. That's not most people. That's not most people. And w when you're talking about whether investing it in stocks and whatnot or buying a house, it should be a yes and. Yeah. No, you. Yeah. You need should. the stability of your of your place where you live right. not being priced out from under you every fucking year. Um, and you should also put some money in some other things yeah. in case the housing yeah, market exactly. crashes. But no, his, his go ahead and rent and spend any money you would have sent on a down payment investing in the stock market and you'll do just fine like that is terrible advice what are you this is what he does for a living Ugh. all right we're gonna keep going we're not gonna get all the way through this just so you know we're not doing this whole thing. Well, i hope not no on top of all the costs associated with buying a house that may not ever represent a real return on the use of that money you have to tie up the biggest chunk of cash you probably have in your life in a home when that money could be used, you know, in a Fidelity or a Vanguard or a TIA account that pretty reliably will, unless there's a giant stock market crash, yield returns. And Good thing the stock market's never had a giant crash before. Like, not to say that the housing market hasn't, but... At least the housing market is real property. The stock market is a graph of rich people's feelings. Mm -hmm. Like, literally. Like, it's not real stuff. So when the stock market crashes, like, yes, real things happen. When the housing market crashes, there is real estate. There's only so low it can fall, right? Because the, the ground it's on is worth something, whereas the stocks are not. They're fake. They're a concept. Yeah, again, I can totally see his point if you're someone who moves to a new city every six months. Mm -hmm. You know, but that's not everybody. No. It's not even most people. Make you not even a lot of people. That's right. And let's put a fine point on this. Over time, the stock market has risen substantially faster than house prices. That seems important. 
it is important. And it's a point that many people miss. The stock market is not guaranteed to go up, and I don't want to suggest it is. But over history, the stock market has risen more quickly than housing prices have. Hmm. That is an apples to oranges comparison because I can't live in a mutual fund. Right. Right. It's not just an investment. It is also my place to live. Like, Your place to live is also an investment. Right. But he's saying don't do the one and only do the other. And... So, David, you are somewhat successfully crumbling the myth that homeownership is so great, renting is so problematic. But I want to be very skeptical. And here I have some ego, some skin in the game. I am a homeowner and I'm a New Yorker. And in a place like New York, you tend to think of housing as a long term investment and kind of, if we're being honest, a can't lose investment, right? You buy a home in a place like New York or Boston or Washington or San Francisco, and the argument has always been that prices creep up. Maybe it's slowly, but by the time you're ready to sell, you're going to make some real money. And the long-term value of that investment is so meaningful that it tilts all the scales away from renting toward owning. So what would you say to that? He does give him some of like the mildest pushback of what the rest of us have been, you know, thinking our whole lives of, you know, no, are you sure? Cause are you sure you're wrong? Um, but yeah, it's, it's not even a great answer. So the first thing I would say is I'm old enough to remember the housing bubble. It was less than 20 <laughs> years ago. Prices fell in essentially every market in the country, including New York, including San Francisco, including all these markets. Nationwide, as an average, prices peaked in 2006 and did not return to that peak until 2017. They came back. 11 years. Came back. What's your fucking, like, oh, if the housing market crashes, everybody, you know. I'm like, oh, somebody that held on to it is fine. Right. And I didn't. I bought a house in 2006. I was that person. Right. Like, that's, you know, I got screwed by that thing. But we had to, it was military. We had to move. Fucking, you know, had to do a short sale on the house. Right. Was what it was. But most people, that doesn't apply. Most people that are going to buy their house, they're going to sit there through those up and down bubbles. And it does come back. Mm-hmm. And you still get to live in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you get to live in it. Even if the housing market crashes, you're still not you're not homeless, right? right? When the rent, rental market crashes, then people start selling their rental prices, and then people get kicked out of their rentals, and it's a whole other like at least with it, you're not homeless. And so prices really can fall in the housing market. They fell quite rapidly in that post-2006 period. And sure, then they started rising. But if you bought in 2006, it took a really long time to get your money back. So, And when you're renting, you never get that money. Never, never, ever, ever. So his every fucking one of these is, well, it takes a really long time. Yeah, we know. That's why it's a 30-year fucking mortgage. I mean, you started your point with that. Right. 
like the he said, you know, that if you wait long enough, it always comes back. And then said this thing. Right. Exactly. No, it's ugh. like you said, the mental gymnastics. That's the first thing I would say. Prices really can fall. Mm -hmm. The second thing here is I think inflation plays a lot of tricks on our minds because inflation can be really significant. And so the idea that a house price goes up over time is both true and less important than it sounds. The price of almost everything goes up over time. The price of lettuce at the grocery store goes up. And we tend to miss this with housing because we buy a house and then often don't sell it for many years. And we... Okay, so... This is like every investment. Yeah. All those stocks and all those bonds he was just talking about, they they increase and are against inflation also. So... This is a, this is a non... But, but if, if it was just an inflationary thing and that's just like what money did, then explain to me why I can't afford to live in the childhood house I grew up in that right. my parents bought for a hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. If it was just an inflation thing and everything just cost more when we were making them or whatever, I should still be able to buy that house, mm -hmm. right? Like as an adult who is making or at least be in the ballpark, right? And I'm not, 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 even, not, even, not no, even a little twice what we bought for this for a little tiny lot, mm -hmm. right? Because you know where it is, whatever, but. If it was just inflation, like my parents can afford lettuce, I can afford lettuce, right? Like that's mm -hmm. right. Those things, food costs, like that's the kind of stuff like that. But the housing is not going in track with inflation. It's just fucking not. It's mm -hmm. going way faster than inflation. And like this next comparison is just silly. Think, oh my goodness, it went up so much in price. But we get tricked into thinking it goes up a lot. Hmm. The thing I would compare it to is. Most items in our lives are like children that you live with, and they're <laughs> growing every day, and so you don't really notice it. But a house is like that distant cousin that you see at a wedding once every seven <laughs> or ten years. And they have soared. They've, you think, oh my goodness, she's so much taller than she used to be. And she is, but so are all the other children who are her age. And we right. shouldn't think that somehow um, she has some phenomenal qualities of growth that other human <laughs> beings do not have. Except that I own this one. Right. This one's mine. I get to collect it when I sell it. That's but, the difference. Like the, the, the comparisons he's making are mind-bending. Most things are like children in your lives. Of like, But that's the point. He's confusing the issue. He's like purposely putting in nonsense things yeah. that sound like they mean something to, like, well, that's the propaganda. Basically, you silly poor people, what are you even thinking? Yeah, exactly. Why would you even, you can't handle the responsibility. Yeah, no, you that's just rent. Yeah, You should just rent and have someone come fix your electrical outlets. Yeah, you can't handle it. Jesus Christ. All right, what's this? Uh, I never thought of my kids in those inflationary terms. David, given all of this, I think we have to accept the strength of the argument you're making here on behalf of renting. But I know something about it that leads me to question everything that you're saying. You own a home. True or false? <laughs> True. You you know me well, Michael. I own a home. Right. So is this a case of, you know, do as I say, not as I Holding do? Up the ladder. That's a fair question, but I don't think it is. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a fucking hypocrite. You're a fucking hypocrite. You're a fucking hypocrite. Yeah, unless there's something super special about your, your life or your job or something. 
But like, how could you make that point for so many other people? We're gonna like 10 more seconds and then we're gonna. I would say there still are times when buying can make sense. But the question for each person out there is, is this one of those times for you? So in other words, I bought my house years ago for $12 and a hand job. Like, it was, it was the right time when I bought a house, but now you can, so you shouldn't. Um, and and this goes on for another and 15 minutes. And don't be minutes. sad about it. Just keep working. Yeah. Which I actually, I'm, I don't want people who can't afford a house to sit there and think they're miserable and failures because they can't afford a house. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not a failure. The fucking system and the market is a failure here. Like, you are not an unreasonable person for thinking that if you work 40 hours a week, you should be able to buy a house in the neighborhood you fucking live and work. Like, that is that is a normal thing to think. You are not the one being unreasonable here. It's the fucking market. Oh. So I did listen to it. He goes on to talk about when he moved to D.C., they really wanted to buy. And if they, so they bought and then they didn't stay for very long. And if they would have just rented, they would have done better and blah, blah, That's blah, what blah. I've been saying from the beginning. Right. But so that's that's his like yeah, it's see, not a short term thing. If we would have just, just like, done that, just like if you go and fuck around on the stock market short term, you're probably gonna lose probably gonna money lose, yeah. because you're not smart enough to do that. Yeah. But if you bought some stocks, again, I'm not you know, whatever, too, yeah. But just throw that stuff in there. In a large amount of time, it'll probably go up. Yeah. Like Jesus, man. Yeah. So. That was our spot the propaganda. Do we have any hard time spotting it tonight? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. No. I, I think it was pretty uh pretty on point. I, I wish I wish that guy at the end would have said if he also owns rental properties. Yeah, right. He didn't get into that weirdly enough. I bet he does. I, I bet he owns more than one house. Right. Yeah. All right, so Dwelling, now <laughs> so now it's time for our mutual aid to signal boost. Uh, we do expect this segment to pick up once we start uh, the live streamings of the show. Uh, during this segment, we will read all relevant chats, even if they're unpaid. If you know of any mutual aid groups, this is the time to spread the word. If you're not watching this live and you want to tell us about a mutual aid group, you can email us at divergentpolitics at gmail.com. And we will share that info during our next episode. And we will also post relevant website links and contact information in the show notes for the episode. So let's move on to political headlines. Oops, let's back up there. Stuck in the wrong place. There we go. All right, and I apologize to all of the uh, very small percentage of you out there that are girls about my age. You grew up the same way I did. I'm going to break your heart on this very first screen. So that's uh, Jesse Spano from Saved by the Bell, an episode where she gets hooked on caffeine pills and she starts screaming, there's no time. There's never any time. And it was, I was like, I was like sixth grade and I was bawling. This was like the hardest hitting TV I'd ever seen in my life. Like was the, the anti-drug episode of Saved by the Bell. And you're Love just it. like, oh my God. Like it'll make me cry now. <laughs> Go back and watch it. But it's like it was so moving and she's just like, 
Yeah. Anyway. Caffeine pills, huh? Yep. Yep. She gets hooked on caffeine pills because she needs more time in her day to accomplish all the things she needs to accomplish. Work faster for snorting. <laughs> I bet they do. All right. So we're going to start our political uh, segment with topics we don't have time to cover tonight, but that you should definitely look into on your own. Mm. Uh, because every time I try and narrow down what I want to talk about, I end up missing things or, you know, we end up not talking about things that I feel are valid. So um, instead of just not talking about them, we're going to mention them so you can go look them up. So first is that the suspect in the University of Las Vegas shooting was identified as a professor, not from that university, from other university, and was apparently frantically applying for jobs in Nevada and getting nowhere. Um, That's terrible and sad for me. The story here is that this was the 80th school shooting this year. Hey, we might stay under 100. We might. Pretty far through the year. Um, and another thing is Elon Musk's XAI, because yes, that man has to put an X in front of every one of his fucking business ventures, SpaceX, X Twitter, fucking XAI. Uh, they filed to raise uh, up to a billion dollars in equity offering for his maximally curious as opposed to moral AI program. So that phrase mildly terrified me. So that is definitely something you should look into. Um, we uh, showed you a couple episodes ago where Jamal Bowman, Jamal, bleh, Jamal Bowman uh, pulled the fire alarm during a uh, congressional uh, session, and he's now been censured for that. Uh, censured in what way? It's a real slap on the wrist thing that Congress does. Oh, it's, an ofi- it's an official slap on the wrist. It's a, on the record. He's been slapped on the wrist. That's what a censure is. Um. No, that's what happened to um, Rashida Tlaib when she said that, like, please don't kill my Palestinian grandmother in the West Bank. They fucking censured her. That was mm. the same, same official slap on the wrist. So, uh, four Russian soldiers were charged with war crimes for abducting and torturing a U.S. citizen in Ukraine in April 2002. 22, sorry. 22. I'm sure that they committed no other no, crimes. never. Uh-uh. That, that's probably the only one. Probably. The one thing involving a U.S. citizen. Yeah. Probably the one thing that they did wrong. And then uh, Kevin McCarthy has announced that he's resigning from Congress at the end of the month. Um, I don't care. I just don't give a shit. Uh, the one thing I did hear is that he was one of the top fundraisers for the GOP. And so um, with him not running again, that's going to be could be an issue for them because he was one of the top fundraisers. Um, And then uh, Jared Joseph Powell was charged with the murders of three sleeping homeless men in L.A. Uh, He was in custody for a different crime when authorities made the connection. Hmm. So that was that was pretty gross. Like just cold blood just walked homeless people sleeping on the street. Just walked up bullet in the head. Kept walking. Jesus. Yeah. Fucking dark. All right, so first segment that we're actually going to get into is the U.S. vetoes a U.N. resolution calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. Oh, man. Because of course they did. All right, so we're going to start with a video here. Uh, Not this one. We can watch it. 
Sure. Breaking news now. No, that's real quiet. It's not quiet. Okay. Uh, it's real short, so I'm going to try just not to talk over it at all. So if you need to turn up your volume, you can. We'll just come back at the end of it. And anytime I can get an Australian reporter mm -hmm. to tell me the news, I'm yeah. going to do that. So. And uh, this is regarding the vote in the United Nations Security Council calling for an immediate ceasefire in the Israel-Gaza war. The Security Council met after Secretary-General Antonio Guterres invoked Article 99 of the UN Charter. Sorry. Calling for the Security Council to act. 13 members of the 15-seat council voted in favour of a draft resolution while Britain abstained. The United States vetoed the resolution, saying the calls for a ceasefire was divorced from reality. Perhaps most unrealistically, this resolution retains a call for an unconditional ceasefire. I explained in my remarks this morning... Yeah, that's what a ceasefire is. Not only, ...why this is not only unrealistic, but dangerous. It would simply leave Hamas in place, able to regroup and repeat what it did on October 7. The UN Secretary-General has been calling for a ceasefire since October 18 and fears the conflict may aggravate existing threats to international peace and security. The people of Gaza are looking into the abyss. The international community must do everything possible to end their ordeal. I urge the Council to spare no effort to push for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire for the protection of civilians and for the urgent delivery of life-saving aid. So, yeah. I'm gross. Right? Uh, like, I'm not missing something, right? Like, still the majority of the American people want a ceasefire? Mm-hmm. So okay. There See, they are doing what's not being asked of them. Weird. Oh, okay. Uh oh. You see that? It's just on my screen. I don't know. Little arrows. I can see it. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So now we got some info that wasn't in the video. So this was, but 13 countries voted total. The UK abstained and the US vetoed. The resolution was presented by the United Arab Emirates and was co-sponsored by at least 97 other countries. 98 countries brought this resolution to the floor and the US said, fuck you, no. The US is one of five members that can do that. The others are China, France, Russia, and the UK. Even Russia, even the UK didn't do that though, but they didn't have to because we did. So they got to save face mm -hmm. of not of just abstaining. So did China, France, and Russia vote yeah. on this? Uh, I'm not sure exactly which countries all voted on some stuff, but um, but yeah, the US was the only one to like, nope, not happening. All right, so now Hunter Biden is indicted on All nine right. tax charges. All right. So we got a video here. We got a smarmy face. Any comment on the charges against your son, Mr. President? President Biden today not answering questions. Look at about the way he's walking. Does he not look like a shell of a person? Like, 
He looks like the way skipping a little bit, but doesn't look alive. No, he looks like a corpse. Like the way like a your you know real old person walks at the very end of their life, kind of shuffling. Look at this. I'm not sure. Watch this walk. It's nuts. He's like trying real hard. He's like not even aware. President Biden today not answering questions about the stunning <laughs> new charges against his troubled son, Hunter. He's heading to Los Angeles for a major Hollywood fundraiser where just last night, Hunter was charged with tax evasion, allegedly spending millions on a life of debauchery. Everything but his... I like that word, life of debauchery. And I, I mean, let's all be honest, he could do all of this and be fine if he just didn't lie about it. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. He didn't lie about it and fucking paid his taxes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep, no one would have an issue. His taxes. The numbers are staggering. $683,000 on various women, $188,000 nice. on adult entertainment, including escorts, mm -hmm. strip clubs, and online porn. $635,000 on clothes and beauty products. Prosecutors say Hunter routinely oh, splurged on yeah. luxury hotels here in Los Angeles, despite having a home in Venice Beach. In 2018 alone, he spent $43,000 here at the really Chateau Marmont, where he admits in his memoir, he partied so hard, hotel management kicked him out. I went one time for 13 days without sleeping and smoking crack and drinking vodka exclusively throughout. Yeah, 13 days. This is in 2021? Interview, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, not what we're watching now, but like the interview they're playing. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. That entire time. Hunter Biden facing up to 17 years in prison. Fox News is relishing the Hunter indictment today, calling it a nuclear bomb for his father's reelection bid. In the past, the president has repeatedly said his son has done nothing wrong. You'd think the nuclear bomb for Biden's reelection would be the actual bombs we keep dropping on Gaza. <laughs> And as let him wear the same glasses anymore. No. Recently as this week, denied allegations he was involved in his son's businesses. It's just a bunch of lies. As for Hunter, he had this to say in a recent podcast. They're trying to kill me, knowing that it will be a pain greater than my father could be able to handle. Hunter Biden's lawyer says if his name was not Biden, the charges would not have been brought. Like, if no one tells him, you may not know. Yeah. I have to make that lawyer thing go away. That's going to be crazy. All right. So, tax charge. This is uh, from the AP. Tax charges in Hunter Biden case are rarely filed, but could have deep political reverberations. So, when he no, says... Rarely filed. So, these, these types of track charges just aren't filed that often. It's just not something that happens that often. So, that does give some credibility to his political... You know, whatever, because because like, well, these specific charges aren't brought that very aren't fine, that but I, I guess I need to know what the charges are. But oh, all right, so we got three felonies. That just means they need to be prosecuted more often. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and they even say that here. So three felonies and six misdemeanors. Uh, and he's still facing the firearms charge in Delaware. Uh, he claims that the taxes have since been paid, and he's a political target. 
Um, and then somebody from the IRS said, uh, most people who commit tax fraud don't get caught, but if they get caught, they get convicted. Of the 665 cases referred for prosecution in 2021, about 90% resulted in total yeah in the whole country yeah gross right not very many should be 10 times that at least uh an october poll showed that 35 percent of u.s adults think joe biden has personally done something illegal concerning the business dealings of his son and an additional 33 percent say that the president acted unethically but did not violate the law well, I mean, both things can be true. You know, it could be a political attack and it could be, you know, did a bunch of bad shit. You know? Yes, he did. I'm definitely not promoting witch hunts, but we can all do it less Biden's. Yeah, right. And he, you know, it's. Dude, talk about the... bad time in jail. Right. But like, oh, you know, man. whatever. Okay. All right. So now we're going to talk about some border buoys. Uh, so the federal government filed a lawsuit against Texas to remove fl a floating barrier in the Rio Grande River. Rio Grande? Uh, this is, this is uh, Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, Fox News. Uh, not Fox News, but like local Fox, which is actually not terrible. All right, so with this one, we are going to jump around because this is pretty long. It's like eight minutes. Oh, wait, no. The fifth so circuit court of the... Not there yet. There's a second. Appeals right. sided with a lower court ruling. Texas must remove those floating border barriers in the Rio Grande. The opinion came down earlier today by a three-judge panel. Fox Force Stephen Dial has more on what that means and what may happen next. Stephen. Steve, the fight over what Texas can and cannot do on the border is likely to head to the Supreme Court. While the Fifth Circuit is very conservative, the panel that made the ruling had two Democrat-appointed judges and one Republican who wrote the dissenting opinion. Weird. Now, the Governor Abbott has faced backlash for some from some over Operation Lone Star when they install the floating border barrier in the Rio Grande River. The border buoys are very limited at this point, spanning only a couple of football fields in length in the river. But Abbott told reporters there's funding and a plan to create miles of the floating barrier. Like many of the border security issues, this one comes down to a matter of state versus federal authority. The federal government said the barrier violates the Rivers and Harbors Act of 1899, but an attorney for the state argued that the law only applies to navigatable rivers. The stretch of the Rio Grande that's been debated is no more than four feet deep, according to the state. This is audio from oral arguments back in October. First, Texas obstructed the river's navigable capacity without congressional authorization. Second, it built a boom or other structure in the river without a permit from the Army Corps of Engineers. The undisputed testimony is that these buoys are temporary. They are designed to be tactical and moved. Now we reached out to the governor's office and the governor actually in the last 30 minutes sent a comment saying that he and the attorney general are going to see if the full appeals court can rehear the case because this was just a three judge panel. And if that is not happening, Governor Abbott says they will fight this in the Supreme Court if needed. The fifth circuit. Yeah. 
So those are the. That's what's happening. That's what the fight is over. Uh, yeah. What's the deal with the buoys? All right, so we're gonna show. We've got an up close so, look. I at mean, buoys. first off, that river looks like when you walk across. You it, go right? again. Right. Yeah. But it's like it's like a, a water version of a barbed wire fence. Sure. So. Oh, like it's it's got actual barbs on it. Yeah. So this is a an up close one. This one's a little longer, so we're gonna jump around in this one. Um, actually, we're just gonna start in and then stop for it. Um, but yeah, this is an up close look. There's quite the intro on here. So we're not going to start until. That right here. All right, and then we're going to pause and go with several minutes. Texas Riverbank. About a mile down where we put in, we see people wading through the water with several young children, sometimes in water so deep it's above their chest. So there is definitely several groups here in this area. The one towards the back has a little girl, she's seven years old. They're from Venezuela. I guess I should read the thing. So. She says, why do you cross here? Is it easier? Is my fussy? Several people in the group tell us they tried to ask the guardsmen and troopers above for help, but we're told they had to walk. Doesn't that look like a war-torn third world country border with the tanks and the barbed wire? That's our, that's us. That's our country. That looks like that. Further to find immigration agents. ¿Cómo estás? How are you? Cansado. Cansado. They were following us, the cartels. I see. No tienen otro opción. We didn't have Ahorita. another option. No, we can't go back. ¿Qué van a pasar? What could happen? We could get kidnapped or killed. As the migrants continue to walk, we move further downriver coming face to face with the latest immigration controversy floating right in the middle of the Rio Grande. From the images and videos that we have seen so far, it might look like this barrier goes all along the Rio Grande River, but really, as you're able to get up close to them and see what this really is, it's about a quarter mile down. And people here that traveled with us have said, if groups want to get around this barrier, they'll find a way. The yeah, Department of, of Justice is... Like this in and of itself isn't enough to do anything, but their goal is to line the Rio Grande with these buoys. Like, doing the state of Texas and governor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is this is different than a wall. Mm -hmm. No, this is gross. And we've got close up pictures of them, too. Governor Abbott over these Worse red buoys. They claim the hard plastic balls tethered to the bottom of the river with heavy cable wire were installed without consulting the Army Corps of Engineers, and it violates several international treaties. Fuentes is also suing Texas and the governor over wire. this barrier and the inability to conduct business on the river. That's what's underneath. Abbott has said he is not removing this. So where do we stand? I, with all my heart, I have a feeling that this is not going to be soon. I feel it within me because it's unnatural. It doesn't belong. 
When we finish floating, we end up near a pecan farm owned by Hugo and Magali Urbina. Okay, this is like, I feel good for these people, but it's kind of hard too because they literally got what they asked for. As Republicans who voted for Governor Abbott, the pair initially supported his push to protect the border. But more recently, that's changed. Something happened and we just saw them take over completely from the Shelby Park. We saw large equipment come in and they just started bulldozing everything. Voted for something because it's something that had never fucking affected you before. And it sounds good. Now all of a sudden it's affecting you and we don't like it. And, and what's affecting you is just the construction. Right. Yeah, not even. Like, uh, it's, yeah. Not, it's not actually affecting you. Yeah, uh, the nature you used to look at is a little different now. They, they made a field for assembling these things. Yeah. I had hundreds not nearly of as national bad as guards trying to cross here, a fucking river putting the T-posts in right. with all the sea wire, and they wouldn't stop. And I would ask them, please stop. We don't want this. Uh, we've They're asked not you not to put to it up. It doesn't matter. They weren't yeah. listening. To you voted for it. Yeah. And it doesn't order. matter if you did or not. You know, like we just heard with that ceasefire. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's what he's doing. It doesn't matter what you want. He's saying right here, citizens do not want this. And then the city council says they have to. The Urbina family is now joining a chorus of community members pushing the city to rethink its agreement with Operation Lone Star. DPS didn't respond to our request for comment, but a regional director did speak in front of the Eagle Pass City Council about the need to keep all of this in place. Maverick County Attorney Jaime Iracheta agreed. We are a small community. This is not something that is sustainable. This is not something that we can handle, and we need some form of law enforcement presence. Ultimately, I'm here to protect the citizens that are getting overrun every single day every single day from our small property owners to our large property owners they can't live anymore we have literally 200 plus people a night going through somebody's front yard and so the answer for that is put up a fucking floating barrier like it's it's like the most inhumane answer like i'm not saying that's not a problem right that's a problem for that town for those people right but this is the absolute wrong thing to be doing about this specific fucking problem Although apprehension numbers along the border have continued to fall in recent months, Ida Chata worries if Operation Lone Star pulls out, another influx of migrants will quickly follow. For Jesse Fuentes, the worry. Did you see those images? Like the, like, in the forest, it looks like guerrilla warfare. Like, this is our, this is us. Are we the baddies? Like, fuck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are. It goes well beyond Operation Lone Star. You see all the buildup here, and I just don't know how determined our governor is to keep disrespecting the river and, and the people that live by it. Yeah. Just disrespecting human beings. Our thanks to Maria. And unfortunately, ABC News has learned that a body was found at the buoys. In a statement, the Mexican Foreign Affairs Secretary says that the Texas Department of Security notified the Mexican consulate in Eagle Pass that around 2.35 p.m. they found the body of a lifeless person stuck in the southern part of the buoys that were placed in the Rio Grande. We reiterate the position of the government of Mexico that the placement of barbed wire buoys by the Texas authorities is a violation of our sovereignty. As of right now, the cause of death and nationality of the person is unknown.
and since then there's actually been a second one but it does seem that the it does seem like they drowned and floated down version right because why would you try to climb over that and not just walk mm -hmm. around it right mm -hmm. um but still it's just fucking gross all right so that's all we're gonna watch on that um, all right uh so you can see like just how big they are compared to the people right those are massive and then uh greg abbott this week on twitter said texas will bus migrants to sanctuary cities until biden secures the border uh so yeah look at that barbed wire that guy's like pulling along catching to the bottom and then this is what's in between the buoys it's a fucking saw blade mm. so in between every one of those right there, you can't grab you can't like that's what's so you come back come back here yeah, in it between, probably rotates with the buoy mm -hmm. if you take around the buoy. So in between every one of these is a fucking saw blade. And then they're attached barbed wire on the bottom. Like, yeah, you're not getting your hand in there. You're not. Yeah. So that's what's going on on our southern border right now. If Canada put that in the water somewhere between the United States and us, and then we right. would lose our shit. Right? We would lose our collective shit. Seriously. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So now it's time for our. They little... should. They honestly they should. should. Yeah. They should do that. Now, Canada should invade the United States for like humanitarian rights violations. If they had any balls at all. All right. Uh, so now we're going to do our little shameless plug. I'm try and keep this, you know, once an episode so people don't get tired of hearing it. Uh, but if you like what you're hearing and want to support us, we've got several ways you can do that. First off, we've got merch. Um, we set up the VP merch store prices so that for every item you buy, we get exactly $10. Um, that's why its prices seem a little funky. And I know probably none of you are going to pay $14 for a sticker, but you can get one for free. Uh, all of our paid memberships include a free iHeart DP sticker. And just tell us where to ship it and what color you'd like. You can uh, find the color choices on our website. Um, You'll also get an exclusive invite to our monthly rant and ramble on Rumble. Check out Patreon for the different tiers. Uh, you can also sign up for the middle tier on Substack uh, with an annual discount option. Um, and if you can't contribute financially, I feel you. We're poor too. Uh, you still play a vital role here. We would love for you to engage with us. Liking, subscribing, reading, reviewing, and sharing our content is the most helpful thing anyone can do help get our name out there um, you can also sign up for free at substack to keep in touch with us it's not just a newsletter they also host our show notes and the podcast version of this show okay so now we're gonna have our apolitical palate cleanser and if i can make that as baby animals every time i would 100 percent do that but today we have video of a rare leucistic white alligator born at Gatorland in Orlando, Florida. I don't know why they say white. The adult is white. This little thing is pink. What's so it's the like, explain it in the video. It's similar to albinoism, but it doesn't affect the eyes. So they don't have pink eyes or red eyes. They have blue eyes. Mm. So it's it's a similar defect like albinoism, but different. So that's pink. Little cute pink little guy. Mm 
a girl. So rare alligator born at Florida theme park. For the first time since they were discovered in 1987, a rare leucistic alligator has hatched at Gator Lane theme park in Orlando. So, so leucistic alligators are, are unique and different from albino alligators. Now there was 18 yeah, of these brothers were born in the swamps of Louisiana back in 1987. That's how rare this is. There's only seven of them left in the world. Three of them are right here at Gatorland. The rare baby alligator and her normal colored brother received a clean bill of health from Gatorland veterinarian. <laughs> Gatorland is asking the public through social media to help name her. This little white alligator and her normal colored little brother are just beautiful and feisty little critters. <laughs> so cute. Uh, this new holistic alligator will be displayed at Gatorland early next year. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, she was born to a normal colored mother and a logistic father. That was the, the big white one with the blue eyes. So mm -hmm. laying down there. Uh, and the ideas so far for name ideas for her so far include Noel, Snow, Pearl, Ivory, and Marshmallow. So, which I think so. she looks pink to me. But I guess the big one did kind of look white, but mm -hmm. like powdered donut is what it looked like to me. <laughs> All right. So, that's our well, quick apolitical palette cleanser. Yeah, nice, uh, tight episode for tonight. Um, so now we're going to wrap up. Is there any uh, other, anything you want to talk about from the episode or questions, final thoughts? I wrapped it up nice. Yeah. Okay. All right. So for our, our closing, uh, we know the topics we cover can be bleak. So we want to try and end our episodes on a positive note. If we can't find a silver lining anywhere, and the topics we covered, we'll take a moment to share something we're grateful for today. Tonight's silver lining has a video, which I don't normally do, but we're doing this one. So tonight's silver lining is Leonard Kissinger still dead. <laughs> I know it's old news. I don't care. That's this is one of the best things I've ever seen in my life, and I had to share it with you guys. So here we go. Let's fucking go. fun yeah all right let me get this off anyway <laughs> okay all right so uh we uh, are also adding a uh quote of the day generally a buddhist quote um just because that's that's the other part of my life um so today's quote also comes from daisaku ikeda who was the president of the Sokugakai International. Um, he recently passed away, 
Um, so that's the Buddhist organization I'm part of. And not all of my quotes are going to come from him, but many will just because it's what I you know, have grown up with. Uh, so his quote today was actually the quote that made me decide to start this show. That made me like was the thing I needed, the shove I needed. So it says, we have to make ourselves heard. We have to speak out for what we believe. When we, the people, boldly state our true convictions, never losing our optimism or sense of humor, the times will change. When it comes to speaking out for justice, there isn't any need for restraint. On the contrary, to be reserved or hesitant under such circumstances is wrong. So that's our show. We hope you'll join us next time. Just a quick reminder to head over to our website at divergentpolitics.com for links to all of our socials, membership signups, and the DP merch store. Good night, everyone. Good night.